Well said. Well said. Well said. Well said. Well said. Well spoken. Well said, Robin. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Well Said Podcast. I'm Bella, and today we have Allison. She is a mother and wife. She has gone through several health challenges in which she has had to seek out answers to. Through all this, she has become very knowledgeable about health and different health benefits. So welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you for having me. Before we get into it, we're going to I'm going to ask you an icebreaker and this okay. one is actually one that your daughter gave me. <laughs> so <laughs> the question is if you had the option and the space, would you buy a pregnant llama for $800 and why or why not? Oh goodness, that is her question. Um I don't know. What can llamas do? Like do they provide wool or milk or I don't are like I'm are they sure useful they or is it just for kicks like to watch them like <laughs> I mean I'm sure you could get milk out of them somehow <laughs> you probably get wool I don't think that would be my first choice to be honest because <laughs> then you have but two they're really llamas, cute basically though. two llamas it's a pregnant llama oh so. right right a pregnant oh yeah so I would say no <laughs> I have enough trouble keeping everyone in my family alive plus the dog <laughs> I kill plants so Okay, a llama wouldn't so that, be good. That's no for you. Yeah, I probably wouldn't <laughs> buy a llama pregnant or not. She likes llamas, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So now getting into your topic, which is lessons from a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what your chronic illness is and how that started? Yeah, um, so it's called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Um, Most people just call it SIRS because that's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically a genetic disposition where my body can't handle the toxins from mold the way Mm -hmm. most people's bodies can. Um, There are two other toxins as well that fall under that diagnosis, but the main one that, you know, I have to deal with in my local area is mold. So um, the toxins create inflammation throughout multiple systems in the body so it causes a variety of symptoms that seem unrelated because they're just so widespread so Mm -hmm. it's often like a tricky thing to diagnose what is this like really serious for you if it is like just mold um the the serious part is mostly indoors so like when water damage happens indoors the toxins that happen there are left unchecked so like in nature they can, what's the word I'm looking for? They can kind of be kept in check by like sunlight and oxygen and other mold species. So they don't tend to grow out of control. But in indoor environments, now our homes are built so well and so airtight that they often are allowed to kind of like grow out of control. Mm -hmm. So um, the toxins themselves become even more, you know, harmful to health. And they can actually make normal people sick as well. Mm -hmm. But usually... Um, that person, if they're removed from the mold or, you know, they would have to be living in the mold for years and years and years to get Mm -hmm. quite ill, but then their body would deal with it once they left the mold. So unfortunately my body just doesn't know what to do with it. It's almost like it doesn't see it. Yeah. So So what are the symptoms that you have from it? Yeah. The symptoms, uh, for me, well, how much time do you have? (laughs) Um, so I developed at first kind of like a lot of food sensitivities and digestive issues. So I would often eat something and then a few, maybe 20 to 30 minutes later, have like a really awful feeling in my stomach, like a rock in my stomach, feel really tired. I had rashes all over my body. 
I especially had ones on my face that they just felt like almost like I was a burn victim. I, I've never, fortu- I've been fortunate enough never mm-hmm. to be in a fire, but it almost felt like I had been burned. Wow. Um, and then like, you know, smaller things like hair loss that didn't make any sense, just extreme fatigue all the time. I had definitely like a sense that my immune system was lowered. I would, I was like in my thirties getting, you know, Mm -hmm. shingles, which is typically like an older person's Uh. virus. Uh, It was hard for my body to keep in check uh, Epstein-Barr. I had Epstein-Barr a few times. So, Mm. Um, and then just like very low hormone levels. When they checked that, they were pretty low, like poor cognitive function. I was really forgetful. I would lock myself out of the house often. Oh no! Um, I had trouble focusing, like just simple things like writing a grocery shopping list would be difficult. Like I'd have you know, any little noise or like stimulus would just kind of mm-hmm. distract my mind and get off off task. Um, and then probably lastly, when I was at my worst, I, w- I just wasn't resilient to stress. So like my body felt like it was constantly stuck in fight or flight. So like large crowds and loud noises and things like that would really just make me feel, my body would overreact. Like I'd feel almost like I was in a battle or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long have you been like battling this and are you still going through this? Yeah. So the majority of my symptoms began in my thirties. Um, I think I had minor ones when I was younger, but since they're so random, you just Mm -hmm. really don't make sense of them. But I would say after I had my, my two kids in my thirties, um, is when most of them started and I struggled without a diagnosis for about eight years, but I've been diagnosed and learning how to manage it for about four years now. Okay. And this isn't one of the questions on the list, but I mentioned in the intro that you've become knowledgeable about all of this, you know, as you've had to figure out what works for you and not. Did you have any like medical background? Did you go to school for any of that? No. In fact, I wish that I did. (laughs) I don't know if it's uh, helpful in my case or not, because I think at least my experience was that most of the doctors I saw were kind of looking at me like one body system Mm -hmm. at a time, which isn't really helpful for this illness. Like it's really helpful if you need a specialist, specialist, for example, say like for a kidney issue Mm -hmm. or something. But because this affected so many systems in my body, it's almost a blessing that I didn't have that background because Mm -hmm. I had a very open mind and I'm a very curious person. So like researching and learning is, is fun for me. Um, and then I think a bit of stubbornness helped too. <laughs> just like, I need to figure this out. I, you know, I don't want to live like this forever. And God was just really faithful to kind of just continually bring information my way to kind of keep pointing me in the right direction. So eventually, you know, I realized, okay, this may be what I'm dealing with. Um, and then it was just a matter of finding somebody who could treat me for that. What did your treatments look like for you and your, did they cure your ailments? Yeah. So um, like I said, finding the doctor was probably the first step. And at that time, there was only a few doctors in the state treating that um, because the diagnosis was discovered by a doctor, Dr. Shoemaker. And he lived near, I think he was in the Michigan area, lived near a lot of the Great Lakes where they would flood and uh, overgrow algae, which produces a toxin. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the three toxins. And he just saw his patients were so, so sick. And So he started to study them and he came up with a protocol and that was only about 20 years ago. So now he's trained other doctors in the U.S. 
um, probably all over the world now, I'm assuming. Um, and so at the time when I looked for a doctor in my area, I was just so thankful that there was one within driving distance. So finding a doctor, then they ran uh, lab work. Uh, they're looking for like inflammatory markers. They checked my hormone levels. Um, they also ordered genetic testing, which evaluates something called an HLA-DR gene. And that's the one that predisposes me to not be able to take care of the mold. Mm -hmm. And then they ran a special MRI called a neuroquant. And that literally measures like if your brain is swelling, if there's mm -hmm. inflammation in the brain. So wow. the mold toxins can actually affect your brain as well. So, and then to treat it, I, the, the number one thing I have to do, which can be tricky is avoid water damage buildings. And you know, they're common. It's like, I think the statistic is like 80% of buildings are water damaged in how, some way. How do you know if it is? Yeah. So I, I don't know, you know, it's funny cause it's something you learn to live with, but it's yeah. not like a perfect science, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so if it's not a building I'm familiar with, let, let's say it like it's like a retail store, I'll walk in and I'll just kind of smell is like a big okay. indicator to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we live, you know, in the desert. So a lot of things are drier than, you know, some of my friends that deal with this in states that are more humid and mm -hmm. rain a lot. Um, so the smell, I'll look at the ceiling and just see like, does the ceiling look like there's been leaks? You know, okay. you can see water rings oftentimes. Another thing that's like kind of common out here, even though it's dry, is you'll go into a store and you'll see like um, AC vents and maybe they just need to be dusted. But like that dust collecting on the AC vents can actually grow mold. So you'll okay. see kind of like greenish gray yeah. <laughs> dust on an AC vent. So, um, you know, thankfully in my day to day life, I have like, you know, stores that I know are safe to go into, you know, friends homes. Um, mm -hmm. It just gets tricky when I'm entering like a new building. Yeah. But on top of that, like buildings are dynamic, right? So like a building doesn't stay the same way forever. Yeah. Like there could be a future water event. So that's I just true. kind of always have to listen to my body and kind of look for those signs. So yeah, that's good that yeah. you, you know, you know how to avoid that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then beyond that, um, you know, that the house that we live in needs to be safe for me. So oh, that's yeah. a little bit more difficult. Um, it can often take people with this diagnosis quite a long time to find a house that's mm -hmm. safe for them. And then to get the toxins out of my body, since my body doesn't do that itself, I have to take something called a binder, which can either be like a pharmaceutical product or a natural product um, to remove the toxins. And then I just have to take a ton of like supplements uh. um, to support my body and then replace the hormones that were too low. And then, you know... Um, I take like an anti-inflammatory drug. Sorry, this is getting really long, but, and a special peptide. And then I had to change my diet too. So it's definitely like a blessing mm -hmm. once you're diagnosed, but it, it changes your whole life because then, you know, you have to work really hard at staying well once mm -hmm. you get well. So what does your diet look like? You mentioned. Yeah. Um, so now, um, a lot of, there's a lot of foods that are known to be moldy, um, interestingly, the research on that is mostly found like in the animal um, husbandry world, oh. like raising cattle or chickens. So a lot of grains are actually moldy, like corn and wheat and rice. Oh, wow. So it's not mandatory. Um, it's just recommended, but to have like what's called like a low amylose diet. So for me, that's like a very low carb, grain free diet. Um, I also don't eat things like dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I try to avoid a lot of foods that are 
um, what's considered high histamine. So they're foods that are like fermented. And if I do enjoy those, then, you know, I'll have a little bit and kind of keep that in mind for the rest of the day. Like, okay, I can't go crazy on the chocolate or the sauerkraut or the mustard or, you Uh know, so, um, yeah, that's helped me a lot for sure to reduce the inflammation. Well, that's good. Yeah. What did you learn about suffering and its purpose as you did suffer? Yeah. So I think I'm not going to pretend like I had this, you know, lesson in my mind while I was suffering. I think when you're suffering, you're just, you know, thinking, how can I survive the Mm -hmm. day sometimes? Yeah. (laughs) But now looking back, you know, I can definitely see lessons and a purpose for it. So I think the primary one for me is that suffering has a meaning. It's not meaningless and it's for our sanctification as Christians. So um, Tim Keller has a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And he points out that um, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. But rather than an interruption, the Bible actually tells us that in James um, chapter one, verses two through four, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So becoming mature and complete is the process of sanctification. I'm still working on the part about having joy (laughs) in the midst of a trial, but um, now, you know, when we have trials, I can tell myself like, okay, you know, the point is not to get out of it or to mm-hmm. rush through it. You know, it's, I'm becoming sanctified. So, And how did your suffering change you? I definitely appreciate my health mm-hmm. so much more now. I think I definitely took that for granted before. Um, like I said, I have to work really hard to maintain it, but it, it's actually like a joy to do so because I know what it's like to live without it. Yeah. And there's just days where I'm like exercising or um, you know, I have energy to spare at the end of the day and I'm not completely exhausted. I'm like, who is this person? You know, it's such a blessing. Like when you have that contrast, you can Mm -hmm. really appreciate, you know, simple gifts that most of us take for granted. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself, you know, through all that? (sighs) So much. (laughs) Um, I just, I think any kind of suffering will reveal the areas where you need to be sanctified. So I definitely had to face things like my pride, you know, when you're walking around with rashes all over your Mm. face and you're having to go about your life and people are like, what's wrong? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, and you just have to swallow your pride and say like, yeah, I've tried a lot of things, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or, or people keep asking you like, are you any better? You know, and it's Mm -hmm. been like eight years, you feel like you're disappointing people. So there's definitely like an aspect of fear of man and, you know, just the simple discomfort of, you know stomach pains or a rash on your face or just feeling really tired like you just realize how much you value Mm -hmm. being comfortable you know and not many of us Americans are faced with discomfort Mm -hmm. in our lives we have we live lives of ease you know so how did you grow in your relationship with Jesus because of what you went through I think I definitely feel and understand my dependence upon God more deeply I'm definitely still growing in this area as well, especially since I still have to manage it, the Mm. illness on a day-to-day basis. There's still like so many opportunities for me to practice this. Um, Back when I was sick, when I was at my worst physically, sometimes I would just pray for like, Lord, just please give me enough energy just to get through like three things today. Mm. You know, like I need to load the dishwasher. 
I need to switch a load of laundry and I need to drop off and pick up the kids from school. Like it would be a really simple prayer like that. Um, and then, you know, asking for wisdom for which doctors to see, um, which diagnosis to explore. Like as I was researching, mm-hmm. you know, you're just thinking like, oh, I hope people don't think I'm a hypochondriac, you know, uh-huh. but it's like I've got to explore everything yeah. p- possible. And then, um, you know, now that I'm diagnosed, we still have like ongoing financial needs to take care of the expenses that are not covered by our insurance. And then we just need wisdom for how to like live with the illness in the most normal way. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to inevitably have water incidences in our home and, you know, just how can we deal with that without jeopardizing like the safety of where, you know, I live. And Mm -hmm. every time God provides for one of those things, it just makes me more grateful. Yeah. How has your family dynamic changed, you know, with like while you were figuring out what was wrong with you and then now that you know? Yeah, a lot changed. But well, first of all, my family was just very patient with me. So I'm so thankful for that. Just things like, you know, I'd have to take a nap often um, during the day and the kids would have to, you know, kind of entertain themselves. Um, I would often have to stay home while my husband took the kids out to go do something fun and just kind of get them out of the house. Um, we were also homeschooling our kids early on, but then we needed to put them in public school because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a very good quality education when mom's napping on the couch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a few hours every day. So um, just kind of like letting go of a lot of ideals too. Um, and I think they were more patient with me than I was with myself, you know, mm. like I wanted to be the best mom that I could be and the best wife, but um, they they made it easy on me to kind of let those things go. So do you think that you put those pressures on yourself to be, you know, like the best mom and the best wife on yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think all moms do, you know, mm. like when you're looking forward to that, um, that that was one of my goals, you know, when I was younger, like I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to put all my energy and focus into that. And so, you know, like the Bible says, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I don't have the verse in front of me, but we we plan our way, you know, but the Lord plans uh, our steps, I believe, yeah. or I'm, yeah. I'm probably butchering that. But, um, you know, just recognizing like this is this was my plan. This was not yeah. God's plan. <laughs> uh-huh. How did your family handle, you kind of touched on it, but how did your family handle everything that you were going through? Yeah, yeah. I would say for the most part, they handled everything well. I think the hardest part was for our kids. They had to deal with a lot of change and loss once Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed. We actually needed to move a few times in order to find Mm -hmm. a house that was safe. And that's a really long story in itself. (laughs) Um, But we also had to get rid of of like 70% of our belongings. So if it couldn't be cleaned well enough to avoid contaminating the new environment, um, then we had to get rid of it. So like anything that wasn't glass or metal or plastic or like a wood Mm. item had to be completely sealed. You know, if it wasn't that, then it had to go. So that was a lot of loss to deal with in a short, you know, time and on top of moving, you know, which is already like a big change for kids. So, yeah. Uh, can you, I don't know if you know any on the top of your head, but what are some things that you did have to get rid of? Um, yeah, things like, um, books, which Mm. our whole family were all bookworms. So that was really hard. You know, just think of anything that's like paper or cardboard, like card, um, cards, you know, that you've saved over the years, Mm -hmm. greeting cards, um, board games, books, 
any kind of furniture that was a little bit on the more budget side. Like we had a lot of mm. Ikea furniture at yeah. the time and that's essentially just like press board material um, inside. It's not like a solid wood, usually thicker things that I couldn't wash like pillows, um, mm. thick comforters. So, you know, sometimes it wasn't so much a sentimental attachment, but just like, oh Lord, like this, we're throwing a lot of money away. You know, mm. it was kind of hard to just think like, things that a family accumulates over a lifetime yeah. you know it's like oh you feel like you're starting over again really yeah what was the hardest part for you about suffering and all that I think there's a tension between like needing to think about yourself and then knowing that you shouldn't always be thinking about yourself mm-hmm. um it's like a constant tug of war so you have this body that's kind of like giving you clear signals that something's wrong but you also have, you know, people that you need to love and serve. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to constantly be looking inward, but I had to constantly remember that I need to also look outward and upward, you know, like I need to think of others and I need to be looking to Christ and just to not let that consume me with like, you know, thinking of myself all the time. Mm -hmm. How has suffering made you think differently about your life? It's definitely made me look forward to heaven Mm -hmm. more for sure. Yeah. Um, I think you have another question here about having a heavenly mindset. And, um, I used to hear like older Christians say like that they were longing for heaven and I couldn't understand that. I mean, I knew that that was a biblical attitude, but I used to look around and think like, there's so much beauty in the world. Like there's, you know, natural beauty that God made like beaches and flowers and sunsets and then there's man-made beauty like there's such beautiful like fashion and art yeah. and music and you know I get that heaven's supposed to be better than this but it's almost hard to imagine you know but then I kind of grew in my understanding of the Bible and um, then I was living in this body that wasn't functioning too well mm-hmm. so then I understood you know a little bit better why they would long for not only just heaven, but like a renewed heaven and yeah. a renewed earth. And so um, in Revelation 21, 4, I really love this verse. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then I think especially after having to move a couple of times, <laughs> um, the idea that God is like preparing a permanent house for us in heaven yeah. is really dear to me. Um, second Corinthians five, one says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Yeah. That's encouraging to hear, you know, those things, you know, that we are, this home isn't, you know, permanent. Yeah. And uh, closing, what encouragement would you give to the person who is suffering, you know, maybe losing a family member, losing a loved one, you know, maybe having health issues, just whatever it is, Mm -hmm. how would you encourage them? Yeah. um, Definitely stay in God's word. You know, um, if, if you're not able to read, like even sometimes for someone with a chronic illness, like reading can seem like a Mm -hmm. task. So, you know, you could always listen to like a ministry podcast or an audio Bible if you're too tired to read. Also, you know, make sure to reach out to your church family and be transparent about what you're going through. I would say that we weren't the best at doing that. Chronic illness can be really isolating and it can be hard for other people to understand it. So you definitely may have to be more intentional about letting people know like how they can serve you um, 
you know, even explaining to them like the particulars, which most of us think like, oh, they don't want to hear about that, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but just helping people understand like what you're going through. Um, and it's, it's just such a blessing to know that other people are praying for you when they can attend to your, you know, practical needs and, you know, just a text or a call with an encouraging word. It's a blessing. And then one thing that I did that I highly recommend to, um, you know, if you do have a chronic illness, like seek out other believers that also have that same Mm -hmm. diagnosis. And, you know, you could, you know, join like a support group or look online or even Instagram. Um, It's just so special. Like when you have somebody who's just a call or text away, who, who really truly knows like what you've, you know, what you're going through. Yeah. And that, you know, also takes humility to be able to (laughs) reach out to someone and be like, I'm struggling too. Yes. It's such a blessing though. And I think there's, it's a little less risky. And I think um, there's just going to be an instant like understanding and Mm -hmm. vulnerability there if you both have the same diagnosis. So it doesn't make it as hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was, you know, great to hear your story and, You know, I really hope that the listeners, whether they are suffering or they're not, maybe they're just here to listen. I hope it's an encouragement to them as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.